Good morning, Heritage of Faith. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and those who are watching online. We just celebrate you today. What a gift you are, not only to your children, but to all of us. Did I bring my glasses? You know, I'm trying to modernize. I've always ministered from a notebook, and I would highlight in different colors, but I'm using my iPad this morning, and I'm just praying everything doesn't disappear on me, (laughs) and that we will enjoy the word today. God bless all of you. You are beautiful in the Lord's sight. You're beautiful in my sight. And it is such the desire of my heart. I felt such a pastoral anointing when I was asked to minister today. And a pastor always desires to encourage the people. I pray that you will be encouraged today by the word of God. We're so thankful for the messages Pastor Justin has been ministering. And I want to just insert uh, along the lines of what he's ministering. As I listened, there was a word that just kept coming up in my heart. And I pray that there will be light and clarity concerning the issue and the word that I'm going to be ministering on. I, I had difficulty titling this message So I called it trusting God in all circumstances. And I think that's so important for the day and time in which we're living. As I meditated how to move into the message, a scripture came up in my heart from Ecclesiastes 1.9 from the New King James I think we need to be reminded that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. I know it may feel like not only in the United States of America, but in the nations of the world, that we're facing unique challenges today. Do you feel like you're facing some things you've never faced before? But I just want you to know there is nothing new under the sun. And God has been faithful in every generation. And he will be faithful to this generation. May I hear an amen? I do know we're in a challenging time in the United States We're facing challenges that in my lifetime, I've never seen in this nation before. You know, we've just gotten out of over 20 years of war on another continent. And now it looks like it's possible we're facing war again on another continent. Are you with me? Uh, Inflation is soaring. Prices are soaring. Our borders are insecure. 
There are attacks on our authority structures and many other issues that I could name. And church, uh, America is facing an unprecedented epidemic of depression, not only among adults, but among youth and children. So it would be very easy to be disheartened, discouraged, even afraid. But I want to encourage you today, any weapon the enemy forms, God is so much greater than any weapon that the enemy forms. Hallelujah. Somebody shout amen. So I pray that today God will grant us hope for the future, stability now, and encouragement in our hearts. I want to go to the book of Habakkuk. He was a prophet in a very critical time in uh, the period where after King Solomon's death, the nation of Israel was divided. Ten tribes, they're called uh, the Northern Ten Tribes, uh, rebelled against God and uh, established what was called Israel or the Northern Kingdom. Only Judah and part of Benjamin remained in Jerusalem and in the southern kingdom, and it was called Judah. So it was a time of great insecurity, a time of a great falling away from God. Have you noticed we're also facing that in our own nation, where God is being removed, it seems like, from the public square, from our schools, and so on and so forth. And uh, so the ten tribes that were northern Israel, they immediately went into apostasy and began worshiping other gods. They were Baal worshipers, and they were eventually attacked by Syria and scattered captured and taken away. And so they are called the lost 10 tribes of Israel. Church, we can say they are no more. They were scattered. 135 years later, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem. So because Judah was a bit more faithful to God, She enjoyed more of the blessing of God. For a longer time, Judah remained. And of course, Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. But eventually, in 588 BC, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came and we know he laid siege to Jerusalem and carried uh, Judah away captive to Babylon for 70 years. So this is in between that period when Habakkuk is prophesying. And let's begin in Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4 in the New Living Translation. And I I want you to really look at these scriptures and the cry of the prophet. How long, O Lord, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. 
I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. And you know, I think that is one of the major things that characterizes our nation today is arguing and fighting. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become converted. So church, in the day that Habakkuk was prophesying, the people of God were in very difficult circumstances. They prayed for God to help them, but it looked like their prayers were going unanswered. And that can be a very challenging time uh, when your faith is being tested. You've prayed and prayed and maybe you've not seen the answer that you want to see. What you thought God would do, you've not seen him come through yet. Can anybody identify with what I'm saying? You've prayed and prayed and maybe you've not seen the answer that you've been believing God to to see. So the people were corrupt. Now we're talking about Judah and Jerusalem. And as a whole, they had turned their backs on God. They no longer put the word of God first place. Violent criminality was everywhere. Everywhere the prophet looked, there was violence. And Habakkuk was really struggling in his righteous soul with the ungodliness that he was seeing on every hand. Can anyone identify with what I'm saying? Why is there ever ungodliness in a nation that belongs to God? God has had two nations. One, Israel, was established by his own volition and his own desire. He chose Israel. But the United States of America chose God. From our founding, we chose God. Now, why are we seeing so much ungodliness in the land? There is an answer. And it's because the nation has departed from the word. The nation has departed from faith in God. You can even call yourself a Christian, but unless you trust in the word of God, church, it is so easy to depart from the moral foundation on which the United States of America was founded. I recently listened to a poll that was taken. And in this poll, it was purposefully 100% Christian. So 100% of the Christian, of the people who took the poll said they were Christian. 
Of that 100%, 67% said they were evangelical. That means they believe and accept the gospel. But do you know by the time all the questions were answered in this poll, only 2% of the 67% had a Christian world view. Only 2% of the 67% who said they believed the gospel had a Christian world view. And what that means is only 2% trusted God's word. So like Habakkuk, we may wonder why are we facing so many problems in our nation? And it's very simple and very fundamental. We have departed from the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. And so Habakkuk complained that everywhere I look there is violence and I'm just bringing the similarities between what we're experiencing today. There's nothing new under the sun. Habakkuk saw it in his day. Everywhere I look, Lord, there is violence. But when you read Habakkuk 1 through 3, I suggest you read that wonderful book. The law enforcement agencies were overwhelmed in Habakkuk's day, and they couldn't keep up with arresting the criminals. So many criminals remain free to be involved in crime. The courts were so overwhelmed in Habakkuk's day by the criminals that were being brought before them for justice that they would very often give them light sentences and or just release them back on the streets. They were overwhelmed with lawlessness. Why was this so? Why did the judicial system break down? Why did the justice system break down? Because society had departed from the word of God. Anarchy. Every man doing what he thought was right in his own sight was the order of the day. So Habakkuk's frustrated. He's praying. He's saying, Lord, I have such a burden, but you're not doing anything about my burdens. And uh, perhaps you're frustrated today because it doesn't seem like the Lord's doing anything about your burdens. But after voicing his complaint, the prophet in chapter one, he voiced his complaint. And in chapter two and verse one, he says, I will climb upon my watchtower and stand guard at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. 
If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Look at the proud. Go ahead and look at the proud. Look at the ungodly and their ungodly deeds. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Church, here's our answer. In every situation, every challenge we face, whether it's personally or whether it's a nation, what do we do? We live by faith in God. The New King James in verse 4 says, But the just shall live by faith. Church, let's say that together. But the just shall live by faith. Oh, here's our answer, church. For everything that we see, for every personal challenge that we're facing, maybe your budget has gone off the deep end. I know when I go to put petrol in my vehicle, guys, it's costing a whole lot more than it did just a few months ago. I go to the grocery store. Oh, my goodness, it's costing a lot more. So what do I do when I'm facing things that, that are extraordinary and, and, uh, and painful and challenging? What do I do? But the just shall live by faith. Because the enemy tries with these circumstances that he's creating to create fear, doubt, unbelief, and great confusion. You know, you could put your head in your hands and say, Lord, what am I going to do? But the answer is, the just shall live by faith. Hallelujah. The turning point for the prophet Habakkuk comes or came in verse 1. I love the way he said it. I, I think I was in the New Life version when I was reading Habakkuk 2.1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and see what he will say to me <laughs> and what I will answer when I'm corrected. I just love that. What my answer will be when the Lord corrects me. You know, when we get out of line, when our heart is not upright, when our attitudes are not divinely aligned with heaven, expect correction and welcome correction because correction only comes because God is trying to bring us into divine alignment with heaven. May I hear an amen. amen. Seek his word. Seek 
to hear from him and church expect to be corrected. He's endeavoring to bring us into divine alignment with him. We may even need an attitude adjustment. Can anybody in here say amen to that? We may need an attitude adjustment. So Habakkuk knew and understood that the nation had come into a time of divine discipline. I don't have time to go into this deeply. Hebrews 12 lays out divine discipline so wonderfully. In in fact, Hebrews 12 in most translations calls it chastisement. But the nation of Judah was entering into a time of divine discipline or chastisement because their hearts had turned away from God. They were not devoted to God. They were not devoted to his word. They were not devoted to worship. They were not devoted to truth and integrity and righteousness. In fact, much like today, Sometimes when you find out that people are a Christian, you're actually surprised (laughs) to hear them say so. I I know I've experienced that. And uh, so they had departed from God and entered into a time of divine discipline because their hearts were turned away from God. Divine discipline comes and church... There is no doubt America is in a time, a season of divine discipline. It comes when God's people set aside the word of God and agree with the world. They talk like the world and act like the world. Are you with me, church? Divine discipline is actually discipleship the hard way. There's the easier way when you let the word be formed in you. There's the easier way. And then there's the hard way, church, of divine discipline. It's all designed to get our attention and bring us to a place of repentance like pastor has been preaching. Bring us to a place of repentance and turn back to God. Why? So that we can once again be strong in spirit. So there is a purpose for divine discipline. Divine discipline is clarifying. It's designed to bring order out of chaos. Hallelujah. And bring low 
that which has exalted itself against the knowledge of God. To pull it down, tear it down, throw it down, and uproot it. So that once again, the word of God and the kingdom of God may be exalted in the land. But it begins with God's people. Divine discipline is designed to restore peace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you need peace? I need peace. And divine discipline is designed to restore peace. So in chapter 2, the Lord answered the prophet and made it clear that Babylon would invade Judah. And that the discipline, the divine discipline, would continue because God's people were not responding and humbling themselves and letting the Holy Spirit and the Word bring them back into divine alignment with Him. The people of God in that day had an appearance of godliness without the fruit. Just an appearance of being, in our day, a Christian. But not committed to the will of God and not bearing fruit for the glory of God. In fact, God's people were disobedient, not obedient. And church, they were willful, not humble and submitted. And so God could not continue building his kingdom and releasing his blessing on sin and bloodshed. So we have to ask ourselves, are we divinely aligned with heaven? Divinely aligned with the word of God. Committed to the will of God. So that God might build his kingdom through us and pour out his blessing on others through us. Hallelujah. We live by faith in all the forms that life presents itself. Church, let's bring this down today to today. Whatever season you're, you're in, whatever you're experiencing in life, we're called always to live by faith in good times and challenging times, easy times and hard times, in strength and in weakness, on the mountaintop, and in the valley, in sorrow, and in joy, in life and death, church, we're called to live by faith. Faith is Jesus Christ anchoring our soul. Galatians 2.20 says, this is New King James, 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, no matter what the circumstances, as we say in the country, whether I'm eating high on the hog or down around the hawks, it doesn't matter what our circumstances, we're called to live by faith every day, Every circumstance, we're called to live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his word. I want to look at that phrase in Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. Listen to what this means. It means to be preserved. So in our generation... The just, those who have been justified by the blood of Jesus, we shall live, we shall be preserved. Church, be encouraged. It doesn't matter what comes. When you live by faith, you will be preserved. No matter what is happening on the earth, doesn't Psalm 91 say, Though a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand on the other hand, it shall not come near me. Hallelujah. The just who live by faith shall be preserved. Shall live is the phrase I'm defining. Another definition of shall live is just astonishing. It means to flourish. So when I choose and commit to live by faith, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. If I'm living by faith, I'm going to flourish. Wow. The just shall live by faith. Shall live means to enjoy life. I want you to make up your mind today. You're going to enjoy your life. It is the will of God for you to enjoy your life and not join the world in depression. If you're depressed, make your mind, no, 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 I'm going to live by faith. Hallelujah. And the word of God says, I can enjoy my life, whatever the world is experiencing. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to enjoy my life. And you know, I'm, I'm talking about the Hebrew definition of this word shall live. It means to live in happiness. We can be happy through the days ahead. Church, I personally, as I look at the things that are happening, I think in the world there are challenging days ahead. But do you know we're citizens of the kingdom of God? We're citizens from the heavenly kingdom. Hallelujah. 
And so we can live in happiness and in the joy of the Lord. And then church, uh, a definition of shall live is to be animated. Animated means you're expressive. You don't have the attitude, well, I've got joy in my heart. I know my face does not inform you (laughs) that I have joy in my heart. It's in my heart. No, shall live means to be animated. We are expressing the joy of the Lord in our daily lives. And others are attracted to us because they're depressed. They're not living by faith. But they look at us and say, what do you have to be so joyful about anyway? And you know, it gives us an opportunity to help them out of their depression. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. And then I was reading one resource, and it said, this scripture, the just shall live by faith, literally means the righteous person in or by his faithfulness, firmness, consistency, belief, faith, steadfastness shall live. Church firmness means to be fixed in place and unyielding. We're to be fixed in place on the word of God and unyielding. Somebody say amen. It means consistency. And that means steadfast in our principles. Uncompromising. We are uncompromising where the word of God is concerned. We are uncompromising where faith is concerned. Someone say, amen. Amen. It means firmness, consistency, belief is trust and assurance in the word of God. It means firmness, consistency, belief, faith is confidence and loyalty to the word. And then steadfastness means to be fixed and unwavering in our purpose. We are steadfast on the word of God. How do we get there? How do we get to this place of firmness and steadfastness and loyalty and and, uh, unyielding to the pressures of the world? There's a very simple principle I just want to make mention of, but it is essential if we're going to be that rock in our generation, and it is the principle of consecration. God's people washed in the blood of Jesus must go a step further and enter into degrees of of consecration. Consecration has to do with the anointing. Consecration has to do with the blessing. And consecration has to do with fruitfulness. Everyone say consecration. consecration. 
you, some of you didn't say it. Say consecration. consecration. Hallelujah. I used to be a school teacher. I need everyone participating. Hallelujah. Consecration is essential for a spirit-filled life. Yes, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but the fruitfulness of a spirit-filled life demands consecration. Now, we have another big word called sanctification. John 17 and 19 in the New King James, Jesus said, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Do you mean Jesus, the Holy One from God, sanctified himself? Yes, that tells us that we need further understanding of that word because he was the spotless, sinless word of God, son of God. But he said, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Hallelujah. And then in 1 Thessalonians five twenty-three, in the New King James, it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we get some light on this from the New Life Version, same scripture, but the New Life Version says, May the peace of God set you apart for himself. This is another level of sanctification. Not just being born again by the blood of Jesus, but now look at this. May the God of peace set you apart for himself. May every part of you be set apart for God. Wow. May your spirit and your soul and your body be kept complete. May you be without blame when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So sanctification has Two parts. The part where we're born again. Washed by the blood of Jesus. We were unclean. We, in receiving Christ, the blood of Jesus sanctifies us, cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. And this is the cleansing part 
of sanctification. By the blood of Jesus, we're purified from sin. But then 1 Peter 3 and verse 15 says, in the King James, I'm just doing the very first part of that scripture. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Have we, okay, we're sanctified. We're born again by the blood. But have we sanctified God in our own hearts? This is the second step of sanctification. The New Life Version of 1 Peter 3.15 says, Your heart should be holy and set apart for the Lord God. Let's put our hands on our heart and say this with me. My heart should be holy and set apart for the Lord God. I'm not going to teach on having a divided heart. But it is so easy to have a divided heart. When you have a divided heart, that means there are areas of unfaithfulness to God in your heart. But it ought not to be so. Setting apart our hearts for the Lord is sanctification. So by the precious blood of Jesus, we're all cleansed from the guilt of sin. And by the blood of Jesus, we are also consecrated and set apart to God for his holy purposes. In other words, there is purpose to my life and to your life. But, you know, if I'd gone on with my life, I would be a retired school teacher today. If I'd lived my life according to my plan, I would never have lived 32 years in uh, Kenya and uh, still have a ministry there. But that was God's plan. And because I sanctified and set apart my heart for him, he, when I did that, began to move me into his plans and into his purposes. You can be born again and never fulfill the will of God in your generation unless your heart is sanctified to the Lord. And this is a decision you make. To fulfill his will and his purposes. Here's a principle of sanctification. When I turn to God in the moment of my conversion, God gives to me. He gives me the gift of faith. He gives he translates me out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. His kingdom comes within me. His spirit comes within me. So when at the moment of my conversion, God gives to me. But when I consecrate my heart and life to God, I give to him. 
that which only I can give him. My heart, my obedience, my sacrifices, my time, my ties, my first fruits, my offerings, every expression of generosity. I am giving to him. Consecration involves my surrender. And this is so much what we need to see in the United States of America. Is a con- not just saying, oh yes, I'm born again. And we can hardly believe it as we look at your life. But we're glad you're born again. But, you know, we need to take another, I mean, I'm telling you, I've seen people and been shocked that they told me they were born again. Hallelujah. But now we need this second step where we're not just born again, but we are consecrated to God with our whole heart. He has, he has our hearts. He has our lives. He can give us an instruction. We hear it. We pay attention to it. And we be, immediately begin the process of obedience. It means to be willing. Consec- this level of consecration means to enthrone him as Lord in your life overall. And this came to me as I was uh, studying this and just writing down things that the Lord was saying. When you consecrate your life to God, new portions begin to be released to you. New portions. Don't just think money. I believe that would involve finances. But when you consecrate your heart and life... Father, not my will, but thy will be done. New portions begin to be released to you. When you turn to the Lord in consecration, a new portion is released. Joshua 3, 5, I would have loved to have gone to the book of Joshua and gone through Jericho and Ai, because that was certainly a consecration, and then a missed consecration. But in Joshua 3, 5, the NIV, it says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things for you. You get new portions. There are new portions of his spirit. New portions of his provision. New portions of his plans. That are released to you. Then of course one of the great scriptures of consecration. Is Romans 12 1. This is the new life version 
Romans 12, 1. Christian brothers, I ask you from my heart to give your bodies to God because of his loving kindness to us. Let your bodies be a living and holy gift given to God. He is pleased with this kind of gift. This is the true worship that you should give him. This means we're no longer our own. We pray all the time. I don't know about you. I pray this daily. And sometimes I really supplicate when I pray, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. This is the process of consecration. Hallelujah. We die to ourselves. We die to the flesh. We die to the plans of men. A consecrated man or woman lives only to fulfill the will of God in their lives. What is our motive for consecration? It's love. Love for God is the motive of our consecration. He loves us. With his eternal love. And when we consecrate ourselves to him, we're loving him back. Anyone who walks in the flesh and lives in the flesh, you know, they can say the words, oh, I love God. Yes, I love God. But without consecration, really, you're not loving him back. For the great love with which he loves you. So. There are many things. We consecrate our lives to. And many. uh, There are degrees of consecration. There are things required of me now. That I didn't even know existed. The first few years. When I say required of me. God shown me his will. And I've consecrated myself to his will. But I didn't even know it existed in, you know, the early years of after my conversion. So what do we consecrate our lives to? I'm just going to share quickly three things. Number one, we consecrate our lives to love. We consecrate our hearts to love. First John... 416 in the New Life Version says, We have come to know and believe the love God has for us. God is love. If you live in love, you live by the help of God, and God lives in you. If you consecrate yourself to love, you're going to find God helps you every time you need help. You're loving him. He's loving you. You live by the help of God. Listen, whatever lies ahead, a consecrated people will have the help of God. Those walking in the flesh, not so much. 
So we consecrate ourselves to love. We consecrate ourselves to truth. I mean, we need this big time. Consecration to truth. First John seventeen seventeen says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So when we sanctify ourselves to uh, truth, we're sanctifying ourselves to the word. Listen, if it doesn't line up with the word, it's not the truth that I live by. I live by the truth of the word of God. I've noticed since I've been home these two, home in America, these two years and three or four months, I've noticed a phrase in America that I find just astonishing. And it's your truth. This is your truth. Or this is my truth. Do you know what that is? That's just a cover up for lies. That's just a cover up for lies. Truth is truth. Hallelujah. (laughs) But what do we want? We want God's truth. It is God's truth that is eternal. It is God's truth that will endure forever. And I'll tell you, it's God's truth that will keep you out of all the crookedness and twistedness and perversion that is in this world. So we consecrate ourselves to truth. And then this one may astonish you a little bit, but it's so important. We consecrate ourselves to love. We consecrate ourselves to truth. And church, it's very necessary that we consecrate ourselves to hate evil. In fact, I find this really missing in the modern day church. I know in Kenya, I could get up there and light a fire talking about, uh, you know, when I ministered in uh, and lived in Kenya, I could uh, just, but here it's just like, is there no hatred of evil? We just seem to celebrate every version of wickedness, every sort of a perversion. And the way that moves into society is they say, be tolerant. Just tolerate that I'm a man, but I call myself a woman. You know, and I go to the ladies' restroom and so on, because I, today I got up and I felt like a woman. I tell y'all, that is um, way out there. That is so far from truth. And it is so far from love. Hallelujah. It, it is such a mistake. 
not to hate evil. Now, I'm not talking about hating a person. No, we love that person. But we hate the wicked works of the enemy that have been sent to destroy their lives. We hate evil. We hate the works of the enemy. And we recognize them because we live in the truth. We live in the light. We live in love. Our lives are consecrated to the word of God. Psalm 97 and verse 10 in the NIV says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil. For he guards the life of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. So unless you hate evil, church, it's very possible that you will tolerate it, compromise with it, and say, oh, I'm just walking in love. You know, I'm just walking in love. Well, I do love that person. I do love whatever form they present themselves in, but I hate the evil that has deceived them and bound them and is destroying their lives. Now back to Habakkuk before we receive communion. Church, uh, one of the strongest ways to consecrate yourself is to partake of communion, and we're going to do that this morning. But first, remember when we started in the book of Habakkuk? The prophet was so discouraged. He was downhearted because he had been praying, and it just seemed like uh, things were going from bad to worse. And then we read through chapter 2 for the sake of time, of course. I encourage you to read that on your own. But let's look at Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 in the Amplified Bible. This is Amplified Classic. Beginning with verse 17, Habakkuk 3, 17. Though, now this is talking about the very challenging circumstances that the prophet and Judah were facing. But Habakkuk came to this conclusion. After God told him what would happen. But I tell you, even when we're facing difficult, challenging circumstances, the Lord has high expectations of his people. I want you to know in the days ahead, God has high expectations of you. And the prophet wrote, though the fig tree does not blossom and there is no fruit on the vines, Though the product of the olive fails and the fields yield no food. Though the flock is cut off from the fold and there are no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the victorious God of my salvation. Now, church, that word rejoice, do you know it means jump? 
It means dance. It means to spin around. It means to be in high spirits. Hallelujah. The prophet is going to rejoice in the Lord every day. Every day. Hallelujah. And then verse 19. The Lord God is my strength. My personal bravery and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet. And church, he's going to do this for everyone who will consecrate their lives to him. He makes my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. Church, every single day, the prophet said, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I know the Lord is with me. I know the Lord will help me. I know the Lord will provide for me. I know the Lord will protect me. But church, this does come with a qualification. It's for those who are consecrated to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, did you get anything from this? Hallelujah. I so want you to leave encouraged today. And as we now prepare to take communion, I want us to remember that all our confidence is in the Lord. All of our strength is in in him. Our physical strength is limited, but oh, we have another source of strength. And all our strength is in him. I want us to look at Psalm 139, 23 through 24. That's fine. You can go ahead and begin passing out communion. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 in the New King James Version says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. You may be here today and you came in with a great deal of anxiety. Hey, I've had to fight anxiety. This is, this is something we're a bit having to deal with. Know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. Is there any area of my heart, my motives, my will, that I'm not aligned with heaven. I've not consecrated myself in some area. And I'm not aligned with heaven. This is your opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me. I release this from my heart. 
And I ask for the desires of your heart to be granted to me as I consecrate myself to you. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is what our cry is as a consecrated people to God. Is that he will lead us in the way everlasting. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him. There will be the overcomers. In the days ahead, in the months ahead, there will be the overcomers. I want to be part of that company. The company of the overcomers. Hallelujah. And they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. What does that mean? They had consecrated their lives to God. This scripture is surely for the consecrated ones. Hallelujah. A prayer, a consecration prayer that John Wesley wrote after he was converted to Christ. He had a time of consecration and he wrote this. He said, Oh Lord, may nothing dwell in my soul but your pure love alone. Till my every thought, word, and act be love. Yes, Lord, May your love possess me whole. You are my joy, my treasure, my crown. Church, I pray that over each one of us, that the love of God would possess us. Lord, we lift up the communion elements to you. And we do bless them. In the name of Jesus. Look upon each heart today. We are consecrating our hearts to you. We're withholding nothing. We're giving our hearts to you, Lord. And we know that the only reason we can do this is because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary when he fully obeyed your will. He gave his life in obedience to you. Today, we give you our hearts and lives that we may live 
in obedience to you partake of the bread. Father, we lift up the cup. We remember that Jesus shed his blood for us. That priceless blood, he withheld nothing. He gave his life. He gave his blood for us. And through the spotless, sinless blood of Christ, we consecrate ourselves to you today. Father, may your kingdom come. And may your will be done in measures we've never experienced before. May your kingdom be so real as we consecrate our lives to you through the blood of Jesus. Partake of the blood. Hallelujah. I think you can pass your cups down the aisle. At least that's what we do in Kenya. We always say, now pass your cups down the aisle. Church, I love you. I pray today there's been something brought forth to to bless you and that you leave as the consecrated ones. Hallelujah. Thank you so much and God bless you.